Hello and welcome back to Are You From That Show, the podcast brought to you by Jordan and Hattie. This is our final episode of season three. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start this week's episode, we want to say a huge thank you so much for listening and downloading and subscribing to the podcast throughout this last year. I just checked and our first episode went out exactly a year ago this week and that episode was actually recorded pre-lockdown in January of 2020 in my old flat in real life with our good friend Patrick Osborne. But the majority of this podcast, as you know, has been created and recorded during the pandemic over Zoom. And Jordan and myself are so grateful for your support and for listening each week. So thank you. Now, on to today's episode, and we cannot think of a better guest to end the season than with the amazing Chris Marquette, who we spoke to last week and who shared a whole new light on child acting, sharing with us his own experience in the US. And Chris also co-hosts a podcast where he speaks to other kid actors. So you should definitely check that out if you don't already. It's called The Coogan Chronicles. And we speak about his podcast in more detail in the episode. So, without further ado, here we are with Season 3, Episode 8. Enjoy. Chris Marquette is an American actor who started his career as a kid, living and working in LA from a young age. His CV is extensive having starred in films, TV, commercials, and theatre throughout his life, with roles in The Tick, the cult classic Freddy vs. Jason, Just Friends, Pasadena, Alpha Dog, and Fanboys, to name just a few. At the age of nine, he was directed by Stephen Daldry in the National Theatre's Broadway transfer of An Inspector Calls. And most recently, Chris can be seen in I Hate the Man in My Basement, which came out in 2020. He also co-hosts the podcast, The Coogan Chronicles, with his friend and former child actor, AJ Trouth, where they interview other former child actors. So as you can imagine, Jordan and myself are delighted to have Chris on the podcast with us today. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I just realized you guys might be the first ones to appreciate uh, me doing that that play as a kid in Inspector Calls, because really, mm. it's like a, it's a long-standing thing in London, isn't it? It is. And the National Theatre is like our big theatre in London. So when yeah. I read that, um, actually, I think I listened to one of your podcasts and you talked about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it actually, yeah, I did mention it maybe in, the, in our, one of our first podcast uh, recordings. Yeah, it's like in America, I'm like, yeah, I did this thing when I, you know, it was really cool. And everybody's like, nah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, yeah, you Europeans would appreciate it. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's wild that they had brought it over from London. It was like, uh, it had been a little hit in London. And then when they brought it to New York, um, I got to do it. And it was actually one of the, it might've been the, the, one of the most, if not the most defining moment of my life as a kid actor, because up until that point, anything I had been doing as, as an actor uh, professionally was, um, was treated like a, like a recreational sport, you know, it was just kind of like, 
it was something I did on the side as I, as school and, you know, normal kid life, uh, you know, was obviously the top priority, but a commitment to do a play seven days a week, you know, and, or six days a week, uh, you know, and matinees and do it every evening. And we did it in New York and I lived in Jersey. So it was also this, like I had to, we had to travel every night, uh, and me go to school all day. That kind of commitment was so intense and such a life changing, um, idea that it it really pivoted my life and it pivoted my family's life and it went from uh, you know me kind of like playing soccer and acting for fun Mm -hmm. to like oh yo like this is wow we're doing it like this is you know well there's nowhere to hide in theater i guess is there none and there's no you don't you know there's no set tutor you're not like in school it's at night so they don't have to really do anything you have to like make your own dinner before you go, you know, like there's the, you just show up and you go on stage and then you're done, you know? <laughs> and it's every day. It's not like, I'm like, it's Thursday. I had a long day. There's a lot of tests today. I don't feel like doing it. Like that's, you're like, you're going on buddy. Like there's, <laughs> That's it. You know? And with plays back in the day, and I think they still do it now in New York. I don't know what they do in London, but they did it. They double cast a lot of things. So they have like two kids yeah. for each role. That play in particular, an inspector calls at that time, didn't double cast anything. So it was just me and these two other, three other kids. And so we were, you know, we had understudies, but if we weren't sick, you, it's like, you're on, you know, there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no switching. Um, so it's intense. It was a year of life where it was like, I don't know. To this day, it might be the hardest I've ever worked. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's possible. 20 years ago. <laughs> 20 years, literally. Yeah. 20 yeah. years ago. I'm like, and eh, now I'm retired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. Did my two cents. Yep. Yeah. So yes. How did you get into acting? How, what was your first job? And do you remember it? Um, I do. I do remember a little bit. Uh, maybe. Uh, I was four <laughs> years old. Um, uh, and I also, I can't tell... I can't tell how much I remember and how much I've pieced together through imagination and stories handed down, you know, from my parents. But I, um, I actually, I've been in LA a long time, as you, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, also disclaimer, I'm really glad to be here with you guys. It's awesome. I really, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm really excited and I, I can't thank you enough for, for having me on and, uh, Chris, we're so excited to have you on and um, I kind of see you as a bit of an expert because I love the podcast you have, um, The Coogan Chronicles. Oh, thank so you. So the idea of having you on is super exciting for us because this is stuff that you've thought about a lot and you've talked about a lot. Yeah. A lot of our guests come on and, and it's actually the first time they've thought about something and they go, oh God, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what, what I'm excited about here too because I've found the exact same thing. A lot of the former kid actors, we... Mm-hmm interview a majority of the time that some of the questions we're posing or thoughts or ideas we're sort of riffing on a lot of you know a lot of guests are going I've never really challenged myself enough to think about that or or like that's it or occasionally feel like we say something and someone's like you just fix something in me (laughs) it's like you know like we're all a bit of you know we're all still works in progress but yeah I think that there's a lot you know um yeah it, it has been an interesting uh, endeavor to deep dive into mm. the psyche and the experiences of former kid actors. And yeah, I'm excited to share that, that part of, um, you know, uh, my experience and hear about yours, um, as well. And it is, it's nice to take notes. Maybe we'll have to do like a, every six months, like get together and, you know, and, and you know, I like it. stories. Yeah. It might be nice. Definitely. Um, like the difference yeah. between, I even listen to, um, your podcast and, and when you're on the pajama pants, um, show as well, like the difference in like the, some things we'll talk about obviously in this episode, but I'm just like, I'm fascinated. Even like the whole Oakwood apartments 
Oh, yeah. like <laughs> thing. I'm like, we were talking about literally, I was like, that sounds incredible. And like the, the difference between the way it happens in England and in LA and America is just mind blowing. I bet. Um, I've been so curious about that too. From the moment you guys reached out, I was like, God, I really, cause we've talked about that a lot. Cause we know, I know a lot of European actors or they're, or, you know, or from all over the world in LA, you get actors from Australia, a lot from London, uh, Ireland, Scotland. And so, and you know, just their adult acting world is totally different than what we're used mm-hmm. to in, in the States. And so I can't imagine. And oftentimes, to be honest, it's not nearly as beneficial like the benefits are not as great like it you know uh, as compared to in the states you know so i've met, mm-hmm. met a lot of actors that come over and like just craft services like where they get breakfast in the morning They're like you guys have like a five-star setup where you're like you're like at a resort you can ask for anything you want i'm like what are you used to they're like cereal boxes <laughs> you know yeah. or like get make your own breakfast you know so yeah. you know there, there's a I, I can't imagine as adults if there's sometimes that big of a gap in the work experience what it would be like for children then you know and that like how kids get started because you know, this, the United States is a culture, obviously, that's like, you know, in its infancy compared to places like London, especially. And I think that sort of paves a bit of a foundation for, you know, we're, we're a culture that's like really um, celebrity crazed, you know, it's like we're, we're, and we're a culture that's very much, um, you know, about uh, work and success and money, you know, and I think it's a lot of our, uh, I've always seen it as, uh, you know, we, because we don't have like a long, long standing culture, we're a pretty new country, you know, as far as the, you know, uh, you know, documented civilization is concerned. So, you know, for us, it kind of makes sense if you've got this culture that's breeding, like be celebrity, make a lot of money, work, 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 that you would have kids that are <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, endeavoring into that field very early and often, Yeah. you know, I've wondered with Europeans, it's got to be a lot different. You know, my wife being is Irish, as I, I mentioned. And, you know, and like her, sometimes her thoughts of like me being a kid actor are horrifying to her. You know, it's just like, but, yeah. but what about, why wouldn't you just go into the fields and, you know, pick mushrooms, <laughs> hang out with the, you know, with the neighborhood cats. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I was, I was on Broadway, you know, yeah. I don't know you. So, you know, there's, um, yeah, there are some big fundamental differences. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So what was it like moving to LA then? How old were you was, when you moved? It was wild, yeah. Um, and real fast, I'll throw the, the little tidbit in about the first job um, yes. that, I, that I remember doing, which was I did this commercial for a bank. It was a Spanish bank, which um, I don't think I've talked about this on my podcast at all. But the um, so my 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 dad's Cuban, and my real last name is uh, Rodriguez. My stage name is Marquette. It's my mother's maiden name. My mom's French. And so when I first started acting as a kid. Uh, when they would submit me as Christopher Rodriguez, uh, the only auditions I could get were for Spanish-speaking roles or Spanish kids, despite the okay. fact that I look like a little Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> I could probably look more, <laughs> you know, London than half the people in London. And so, you yeah. know, and my mom's like Polish, German, French. And and so I, I got this commercial for a Spanish bank that was in Texas, where actually where we'd been living at the time. And, uh, and I was asked to speak Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish. Uh, my, my dad did not teach us any Spanish. And, uh, and I went on to set. And what I remember was, I remember going to a bank. Like that's, that's my memories, like being in a bank all day, which was so strange because for years it was like, you know, so I was like, oh, you like, everybody's in there. It's a, you know, there's a lot of security. There's, you know, for us, we were like in the back by the safe eating snacks, you know? And, um, but 
the story my parents always told is that uh, I also got chicken pox that day just by fluke accident. And so we started filming as nice. I was breaking out in chicken pox. And so I like literally, and they were, they were literally going, um, let's pull the camera back just a little bit further and like <laughs> trying to like get away from the chicken pox. And there came a point where they're like, we just need to do everything because like this kid is breaking out and there's nothing we can do about it. And we need to get him away from all. And they were asking everybody on set. My parents told me like, have you had chicken pox before? Have you had chicken pox before? <laughs> they were, they were, like it's really scared that this little boy was just going to spread chicken pox to a crew, you know? Uh, and we, so we had to wrap up the day really fast and we sort of were sent off like, you know, like literally a diseased leper you know and they were like all right get out of here great job and yeah. so that was our first experience was like you know i think for me i remember my parents always being like oh god cross your fingers you don't get chicken pox or like you know or like some other horrific disease you know it's yeah. like, so so we uh it was an intense first uh first time acting i don't know why we continued past that now that i read all this yeah. story not traumatized enough not traumatized enough um and then to speak to your next question, yeah, we, uh, I went to LA when I was a teenager, when I was about 13. Uh, I had a little, uh, I had a few pit stops in between Texas. I was born in Florida, then I moved to Texas, then I went to Georgia, uh, New Jersey, New York, and then California. Wow. Um, so moved a lot. Jenny. Yeah. Um, and we went to California um, and we did it purely for my acting. Um, we had been in New York a while and a lot of people were telling my parents all the time, like, you got to take him to LA. You got to take it. If you want him to get him on a TV show, take him to LA. If you want him to be in big movies, take him to LA. Uh, and so we, so we did, so we did the, um, the thing. And the thing is you kind of mentioned the Oakwood apartments. That is the, um, usually that's the first pit stop for anybody coming from anywhere in the States towards Los Angeles. Uh, you almost always inevitably end up stopping and staying in, at the Oakwood apartments. Um, and it's where I think a lot of the agents and producers and casting people, they tell kids to stay in their families, like go there. It's furnished, super expensive, go there. You're in the middle of where all the auditions are and you'll be uh, with your kind, you know, <laughs> you'll find you a whole can. bunch of little yeah, <laughs> kid performers um, practicing scales in, the, in their living rooms, you know. <laughs> um, we had been over a couple times just for like pilot season, you know, mm -hmm. for like a month and uh, we'd kind of go over, you, you'd, the way to do it back in that time was you'd sort of pal around with, um, with other kid actors from New Jersey, New York and, uh, mm -hmm. and you guys would all share a, an apartment together that was like kind of like kind of like summer camp you'd like yeah, maybe like yeah. four kids to a room and four parents to a room is really weird it's fucked up wow it's like i don't know how how parents agree to do that <laughs> so the parents are kind of twin bedding with their kids in these rooms no i wish it was that see that'd be awesome it was even weirder the parents would twin bed with the parents <laughs> so like i'm not kidding like my mom bunked up with other kids moms and you know okay. not dads it was always moms and you know so it, um but it was uh the first time i came over there there's an actress that is fairly well known now. I think she's like a big social media person named Ashley Tisdale. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ashley and I had grown up singing together and acting together, um, and uh, and were ten year old boyfriend and girlfriend actually. Oh yeah, I guess so. And um, but we came over to L.A. and it was that. It was like me and Ashley uh, and two other kid actors would all you know have like side by side apartments and then all the parents would be in the in bedrooms and side by side apartments um and so that's yeah that was it's our... such a commitment from the parents and i think actually that's one difference between the uk and the us hmm. um is that because of the size of the uk 
I don't think parents, although you UK parents, don't get me wrong, do have to give up a lot for their kids if they want to be child actors, but they don't necessarily have to move house because you can kind of come to London for your audition and then you could, even if you're from Manchester or you're from, you know, Newcastle, you could get the train in for the day. Yeah. So there isn't this migration that people have to do um, within the country. Yeah, that's, I mean, I wish it was like that. That happens a little more in New York would be my guess. Like there's a lot of actors that are from Jersey or Connecticut or Pennsylvania, even Georgia, like the surrounding sort of states where they mm-hmm. can just train in from time to time. Um but uh, yeah, the move to Los Angeles is in itself. It is like yeah, you 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 know you're you might as well move to Hawaii, you know, um, yeah. or you know, literally Australia. You know, it's like you know, it, it is it for everybody. It's a huge jump. You know, my co-host AJ on our podcast, he moved from Vegas, and Vegas is like maybe a two-hour plane ride, um, you know, five-hour drive. Yeah. But it it might as well have been from you know from Florida. You know, it might as yeah. well have been across the entire country for him. Um, same deal. Yeah. And it is strange. I mean, most people, most parents do, they give up their jobs. They give up my, my family in particular had a lot of roots in, you know, both my parents are immigrants, but all, all their extended family was in, if not in their home countries, they were in Florida and, and Jersey. So when we moved to the West coast, we got disconnected from all of it. Like all of their mm-hmm. high school friends, college friends, every, they gave up their entire life, you know? And I always think as an adult, like, it's the stupidest fucking thing you've ever done. Like, it's just like, why would you like as an adult now? I'm like, no, why would you do that? You know, um, did you feel pressure then as a 13 year old that your family were moving to this whole other side of the country for you? Like, and if, if you're not successful, damn, that's, yeah. that, that's a mistake. <laughs> it is. It's a bit. Yeah, it is. It is definitely uh, a burden. I don't, you know, I think it's one, it's a slow burn burden, you know? Yeah. Because I think what I've found in my experience and in talking to a lot of other former kid actors and even my, my good friend, AJ, um, and we also, AJ and I met when we were teenagers and first moved to LA and we have a big group of friends that are all former mm-hmm. kid actors that were the same. Oh, wow. They all moved to LA as teenagers, you know, or a little yeah. before then. And that we all have the same experience, which is, you know, there is, you know, when you go make that move for each kid, they always say the same thing. And I could say it too. Like your parents say like, do you want to go to LA? And you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, it's, there's nothing, it's like a trip to Disneyland, you know, there's nothing, you don't understand that kind of decision. And then you're there for a year or so. And the reality, reality of it starts spilling into your consciousness, especially as a teenager where you, where I do, you know, from, I can speak for myself where I do suddenly start feeling like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, like our, you know, our weekends, my whole life growing up were dominated by birthday parties and going to go, you know, see good friends or, you know, doing, going to New York and doing something with my mom's old family friends from school, Mm -hmm. you know, and their kids and, and that, and a a community, a normal life. And suddenly our weekends were dominated towards, you know, well, what did the agents say? Maybe I should get like, do some dancing lessons, you know, Mm -hmm. or like maybe, you know, and you realize like, oh yeah, your life's very quickly gets centered around the endeavor. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it does feel like a burden because the stakes suddenly are, are, different you know mm-hmm. um, you, you don't just walk back into a normal life you walk back into an empty life where if you're not working you know you're like something's missing mm-hmm. um so it is you know yeah it also must have been a really high level of um competition between everyone in these this these apartments because you're sort of looking at other kids going well they've put that job they've put that job up 
have I booked anything? Um, what, what was that like? It's fucked up, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, yeah, I think in one way, I I mean, here's the, I think I can speak to a lot of other kids experience, but I'll, I'll speak to my, my mind first, which is I got really lucky like my buddy AJ, I'm curious too to hear about how you guys met without making you guys tell stories that maybe you've told a thousand times. <laughs> um, but like, you know, AJ and I met um, at Oakwood and we met through another child actor friend named Andrew McFarlane. And the three of us became really close. And the rest of our crew were also former kid actors, a guy named Dan Bird and John Foster and um, Luke Ebrill and Aaron Himmelstein. These are all like all these little kid actors and we all knew each other and we were close and we got really lucky that there wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't really any competition between any of us. And I think we all found this solace in each other because our lives were so unique from everybody else's that we knew and we're so, you know, and we were all transplants. So we were suddenly in LA and we didn't know people. And so we really got to take to each other and we became each other's, uh, you know, social circle and, and, and with a real familial bond. So I got really lucky that I, I got to find that. I saw a lot of people that didn't find that and their world was dominated by that kind of stuff was like, yeah. you know, dominated by like, well, shit, that person's working or, Oh God, I tried out for that. Or like all of us were friends with Frankie Muniz, the kid who okay. did Malcolm yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And like, you know, Frankie went from like a child actor, like any of us to like one of the most famous people on the planet, you know? Yeah. And it was weird. And Frankie, like, you know, all of us were like, you know, still living in one bedroom apartments, struggling to make rent with our families. Mm. And like Frankie was buying the cars from movies like Fast and the Furious and Tomb Raider. Wow. You know? <laughs> and like being like, yo guys, check this out. And we're like, what the <laughs> fuck is <laughs> happening to Frankie's life? You know? Yeah. And so like, there's some, you know, it was, um, I, I, for us that like me, I never got felt competitive with someone like Frankie mm-hmm. or felt less than or anything, but I, I did see that there were a lot of other kids that did, you know, mm-hmm. where it, it does because it is, it's insulated and it's, it's weird. Um, and it is competitive. You know, I will say though, looking at your, um, IMDB, you've worked, you worked so much. Yeah. I think you're probably one of our top working guests as a child oh, actor. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because you just work consistently. Um, yeah. And as you say on your podcast, you know, you were doing commercials, you were doing um, like jingles, like singing on cereal um, brands. Yeah. It just seemed like that must have made it easier for you that you were booking work. It was. I mean, there's, there's definitely, there were dry periods, you know, um, particularly when I moved to LA, there was like a long really kind of horrible stretch where I moved to LA and the expectation for me and my family when I did move to LA was that I was going to just nonstop work. You know, that in fact, it was like, I had been working so much that if we went to LA, it was going to double because Mm -hmm. like, look at what I've been doing. And there's so much more work there. And we got to LA and it was about a year and a half before I got a job. And it was really tough and it was really um, tough on my parents and and myself. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I did, I like, I didn't stop. I just did, you know, all kinds of weird, weird stuff for a long time. And that wasn't every kid actor story by any means. Um, you know, some tried and it wasn't working like that. Or a lot of kids weren't even endeavoring into, you know, all the stuff I was endeavoring into. You know, my parents kind of would just like an agent would call and be like, can he do mime? And they were like, Chris, can you do mime? And I was like, yeah, I think I can do mime. Like, yeah, he can do mime. Like, okay, put him on the mime audition. Next thing I know, I'm doing mime. So we we kind of just threw our hat in the ring for just about anything. I heard a story you talked about doing opera. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I sang opera at Carnegie Hall, and I don't remember it at all. Like I just, I only, my only, the only way I know that is because my dad is like, yeah, you sang for Valentine's Day, Carnegie Hall with a chorus of little <laughs> operatic soprano singer children. I was like, what? <laughs> what? For what? how long? He's like, just for like an hour, you know, you went and put on a performance and left. I was like, who was there? He's like, I don't know. Like, they don't even know what the job was. They don't even know. <laughs> like for all I know, like, I don't know, one of the most famous opera singers in the world could have been there. And, and my parents would have no idea. Yeah, it's strange. There's a, as a, we've been doing our podcast, like memories, more and more memories have been floating to the surface for me where I, I, I'm just like, it's like a world yeah. forgotten a little bit. Um, we've, we've interviewed a few kid actors that have had my experience too, where like in LA, especially you could go on, if you wanted to, you'd go on, not kidding, three to four auditions a day, every single day without pause without any pause. Like if you wanted to audition on Christmas Eve, you're going to audition on Christmas Eve, you know, New Year's Day. Yeah. You'll find an audition. They'll find you an audition on New Year's Day. Like it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's, it's like not as nonstop as you want it to be. What, what does that do for school? Oh, it fucks your whole education up. <laughs> it's like, it is, you sacrifice. There, everybody will tell you while they're doing it that they're not sacrificing their education. Yeah. Or that's, and, and every, everybody does this. Everybody goes, education is the most important thing. It is absolutely <laughs> yeah. what we want more than yeah. anything else, you know? And like, yeah. and they will, they will swear up and down about it. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, is it, it, it like totally takes you away from all of it. I mean, mm. my, my education was, pretty much non-existent like i i don't remember huge swaths of my time mm -hmm. in school and and i i did move around a lot which had a, a bit to do with it and my family life was um pretty intense and chaotic unfortunately so that also has something to do with it but i have friends that didn't have that experience or home life and they felt the same way they're like fifth grade the fuck was fifth grade? Like yeah. they have no, you know, yeah. they're like, I remember going to Six Flags and riding a roller coaster 40 times for a commercial, but I have no, <laughs> no idea what social studies was that year. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, the thing that I was thinking is that a lot of our guests have said is that actually what that means is you get to the age of 25 or 30 and you've had a career that most people wouldn't have until they're kind of more like 50. Yeah. So you've lived this lifetime and you're actually still a young person. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm. I mean, there's like, I said that when I was about 24 or 25, my dad sat me down and he was like, Hey, so I just want you to know, like you have just, just, you know, like right now, if you retired right now, now I'm 24. You know? yeah. so if you, if you retired right now, you have a better pension than I do, you know, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. And he just sort of like went on it like that. And like, I remember for months I was like, what the fuck? Like, like yeah. my dad's a nuclear engineer. He's like, he's like a, the most working class you know, put himself through college working 19 jobs, you know, like came from literally a, like a dirt hut in Cuba. And mm. like by 24 years old, I was like, he was like, yeah, if you retired right now, you, you'd make more money than I do. And I'm like, it's <laughs> fucked up, man. And it's, and it's weird. Yeah. It does. It feels like that. Um, now, especially as I get, I've gotten into my thirties, it has been a bit of like me occasionally feeling like, Oh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did it. You know? Yeah. It's a strange feeling though, isn't it? Because you sort of, you do go when you've been doing something and been successful and done a lot of jobs for 15, 20 years and you do reach mid twenties, you sort of, I think the hunger changes because you don't have the same hunger as other actors who started when they were maybe late teens, early twenties, because you've achieved so much already. Yeah. The fight isn't as 
strong within you? Not at all. And I think there's a, I think what I noticed was there was, there was only one upside if I'm, you know, uh, in terms of what, what I think there's only one upside with having been a former kid actor over actors that start as adults. And the one upside was that I had an established working career. That's it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so all it did is it gave me enough, um, uh, visibility and connections with agents and, you know, and casting people and that kind of stuff past that. I think it's all actually, it's all, um, it makes it more difficult, you know, mm -hmm. because it took me a while to realize that exactly what you just said is I started to look at realizing that like there was a, there was a, a, a lot of blessing for actors that were starting at a normal age, like 18 or 20 or 22, where they did feel motivated and they weren't jaded or cynical or mm -hmm. they didn't have expectations at all. They were mm -hmm. just like there the mm -hmm. same way I might've been at 10, you know, yeah. we're just there. And the, there's the, there's the pitfall of the kid actor, mm -hmm. I think in general, which is the inevitable thing, which is if you see any kind of success or not, if you just see the, if you're just really fully committed and you're actually endeavoring into being a professional actor as a child, um, it will set you up whether you want it or not for expectations and it'll set you up for uh, it sort of watermarks your life with ideas. And mm -hmm. those ideas I think become incredibly challenging whether they come to fruition or not, mm -hmm. you know, because I've known some actors that were kid actors that got exactly what any former kid actor would have wanted, got the career that they would have wanted. And there's a bit of an existential crisis to it. Cause you're an adult and you're like, did I really want this? Am I actually really good at this? Is there, you know, like it, it's, it's a really hard thing to go through, even if you do get what you want. And if you don't get what you, what you want, which is 99% of us, you know, it's way harder, but you know, uh, equally challenging in, in certain ways, which is, you know, you spent your whole life thinking like, once I'm an adult, this is what's going to happen. And was, you know, you've been working, you're, you've been trying to work as an adult, you know, and act and bring the same skill level and craft and whatever um, as an adult would. And you've been doing that for a long time. And so now that you are an adult, you're like, I'm ready, you know, and the world kind of goes, all right, kid actor, yeah. show us what you got. <laughs> you're yeah. like, wait, not, 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 none of what I did mattered, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, you, you start from maybe the easy way of saying all this is I found is that you become an adult and you start from scratch, you know, AJ and I've talked about this on our podcast a lot where we like, we realized like you turn 18, so you turn 16 and 17 yeah. and all the work you've done doesn't matter. It mm -hmm. just doesn't matter to anybody. You know, even if you're Frankie Muniz, you know, even <laughs> yeah. if you're Macaulay Culkin, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, there's maybe you get more opportunity mm -hmm. um, and chances and maybe it's a little easier, mm -hmm. but the truth is, is it's, it's, you're still starting from scratch. You still mm -hmm. have to like, suddenly show the world that you're an adult and it makes sense why but if you're the actual kid actor it's a little fucked up and hard i think i guess that's that thought the feeling of having to reassess at different points in your life if you want to keep doing it and yeah. i think those moments are useful and actually i was going to talk about how jordan and i met because we actually met when we were 18 and we went to drama school in london together hmm. so we'd both been child actors and actually we were 19 weren't we jordan we were 19. We were 19. Yeah. And we did a three-year acting degree. Mm -hmm. 
And I do think that that was a really useful time in kind of making that decision to become an adult actor. I do think that made me see the job very differently to how I'd seen it when I was young. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, that's great. You know, like, that's really great. Um, You know, in the States, especially in LA, there is not really as much access to, you know, in London in particular for all actors, there is a prestige and a, a very deep respect for the learning um, the craft of acting and going to school in particular Mm -hmm. to learn it in LA and New York and a lot of the United States. It's like freelance acting teachers, you know, there aren't these like deeply respected schools. There are, I mean, there, there are Juilliard and, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is NYU and USC Mm -hmm. film school and there, there definitely are, but I'll be honest, like as far as the entertainment industry itself is concerned, they could care less a majority of the time. They really could. Like it doesn't, you know, you come out with a degree and no one cares, you know? Yeah. Um, it may be in, in London, it's always sounded like people do care. It, it is a, you know, it, it is hard work and it is respected, you know? Um, and I think you're right. It, it does, it will allow a young actor um, to reassess everything as an adult, because to be honest, what myself and a lot of my friends and a lot of the former kid actors we've talked to, that that reassessment period is happening while you're still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While you're still auditioning for the same people, trying to get the same jobs mm-hmm. and working. And it, it's it's a bit of a mind fuck because mm-hmm. it's all the same stakes. You don't get to go into a class and kind of fail or be totally different. The, you know, you're going to the same, you know, there's a building in Burbank, California that stands at like 50 stories high. And Burbank is like a, you know, all one story buildings and it's this huge building and it's the Disney casting building. It's where they cast all the Disney shows. And like to this day, like when I pass by driving, I go, so many yeah. memories, but like, that's where I spent my reassessment period where suddenly yeah. I was like 16 and 17 and being like, do I want to be on the fucking Disney channel? And like, yeah. what am I doing here? Like, do I even like doing this? You know, but while I'm auditioning for huge television shows, you know, and it's, that's, isn't exactly a safe place to go through those types of feelings, you know, those types of experiences. Um, Absolutely. It's, 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 it's raw, especially when you are so exposed and you are having to assess these big life decisions at the age of, like you said, 16, 17, 19, um, where you, where most people don't do that. You don't necessarily have the maturity to to do. I, I didn't have the maturity to do that. I don't think I ever really assessed what I was doing beyond, I was in a TV series, a kid's TV series, and I finished when I was 17, mm. when I was 11. And when I left that, I, I didn't ever think to myself, really, is this what I want to do? Am I going about it the right way? It just was something that I had fallen into when I was eight years old, and I just had never stopped doing it. Mm. And then when things did get tough, I didn't know why. And like when you are younger and there are periods where maybe you don't work for a year or a year and a half, it doesn't matter when you're 12, 13, not really when Mm. you're that age. But then when you are older, you sort of think, oh, you know, there may be periods where I don't work for a year or two. Mm. But as an adult, that's not, it's not the same because that's totally different. You're not earning money. (laughs) Yeah. It matters. Yeah, it matters. And you're, you know, you you have an ego, you have, you have a self to contend with and that ego is going to need validation and to be valued and you know i think it's the biggest myth to being an actor 
that especially me growing up in LA, it's like I've met uh, literally tens of thousands of actors, I feel like. And, you know, and if there's one thing consistent, it's that at a certain point, you will experience a sort of huge smack in the face where you get knocked down and you realize the reality of what the endeavor is. Mm -hmm. And that's that like, you know, like you're, it's not fair, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's not, you're not owed anything and it doesn't matter like i think about this sometimes i thought a few years ago i saw like thor in theaters Mm -hmm. and i was watching and then like anthony hopkins came on screen and he had on this like silly wig where his hair was like down to his shoulders and this like weird pie patch and he looked like half asleep and he was like (laughs) thor tell me you know like this and i was just thinking i was like i wonder if that morning he was putting on that weird patch and he thought to himself fuck you guys. Yeah. I'm the fucking elephant man. Okay. Yeah. I'm Hannibal fucking Lecter. Yeah. I, I, he's like, you know, it's like, I wonder if he just in his head, he's like, Thor, I got to do fucking Thor. I'm 80. You guys, this is the best you guys got is Thor. You know, I'm like, I've been fucking winning Oscars since I was for 40 years. And I just, I'm like, I don't think anybody sees that, you know? Yeah. And I, I also, I'm sure he's really grateful that he's still working and he seems like a lovely person. But I just, you know, that's... <laughs> <a> side note. <laughs> exactly. But that's the reality, I think, of being an actor, you know? And it's... it, And I think it really, you know, life as a kid actor and life as an adult actor are two completely different things. They really are. And it's mm-hmm. a completely different way. But when, when, you're a, when you're a kid actor and you've seen, like you, you know, if you've been on a TV show, especially for years you know, that's a dream job for any adult actor. And so when you've already had that under your belt, um, you know, like we've talked to my good friend, Andrew McFarlane that I mentioned, me and AJ sort of Mm -hmm. like third wheel. And he came off a TV show very similar. He did it for years as a teenager. And once he got into his early twenties, the show ended and suddenly he's thrust back into the normal actor life. And he wasn't suddenly on another TV show and every job Mm -hmm. he did past that sucked. And he was Mm -hmm. like, fuck this. Like, I don't want any of this. This is not, you know, and in any other field in the world, a majority of the time, once you've crossed a certain threshold, it, you can rely on that, on having crossed that threshold. Um, with acting, it doesn't matter. You can be Anthony Hopkins and they're still going to tell you to put a wig on and, and be Thor's dad for a day. And you're like, okay guys, you know, it's like, you know, it's not, um, you don't always, you rarely get what you want. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. There isn't it? Cause even like, Hattie, Hattie was obviously in a huge film, you yeah. know, at the age of nine, 10 years old. And that's something that most actors in their career, they would love to have starred in a film of that magnitude and that size. Yeah. And Hattie, I don't know if you feel the same, but I, I realize sometimes in life that there are things in my career that now, that are potential things like a potential audition or a script that we've written is maybe getting far in, in the process. And it doesn't excite me in the same way that it excites other people. Because when you've done so much when you're younger, it's hard to find things that help you reach those levels again. You sort of go, okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a really fun thing. And it's good that there's something that is, is potentially going to be successful. But I've had success already. Yeah. And it's like you only get excited or you only get when it's a guaranteed successful thing. That's also, I, to be honest, that's also maybe one of the upsides to having a, a life as a former kid actor. I mean, I've always called it like Zen and the art of rejection. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, cause like there is something, there is a way of staying not too high and not too low, you know, mm-hmm. which I think becomes a, an attitude people try to cultivate as adults 
no matter what you do, you know, in life as, as life happens and unfolds and sometimes great things, sometimes horrible things. And, you know, you try to, you try to find this balance of, you know, of having a reaction that's sort of right sized, you know, that isn't on one end of the spectrum. Yeah. You know? And I think it, it's a quality that I found a lot. It sounds like you guys have when I hear you speak and it sounds, and that I found a lot of former kid actors have, you know, just because you have this, this, you do have this like long experience where, you know, it is that where you're like, okay, it's great that this script is progressing, mm -hmm. but like, I know how far it has to reach in mm -hmm. order for it to one, it, you know, it's great that it's, you know, if it even got made <laughs> nonetheless, yeah. like, yeah. you know, if it got made and then it actually, uh, you know, got seen and then if it yeah. got seen and it was respected and if it was respected yeah. <laughs> and then you got a different job from it and then yeah. if you got a second job, but that job actually was nice. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, the, the, the line in the sand is so it, it, it all, it's the dangling carrot, you know, mm -hmm. it never. And I think with a, a long history of being a former kid actor, I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, a deep understanding of that. There's a deep experience of it. And I think it serves, um, it serves you well as a, as a person, you know, I, yeah. I, as an adult, I think there is that upside. There's a great, my friend Andrew again said it to us really beautifully. He was like, I kind of think almost everybody should be a former kid actor just for a minute, you know, <laughs> just for a few minutes. He's like, cause it goes, the, the rejection alone teaches you so much mm -hmm. about, he's like, you know, he goes, and, and we used to say this growing up when we were in our twenties, we used to say like, man, the normal people, like the normal people in life that are normal, uh, right word, like, but like the people that endeavor in, in normal, uh, not acting, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. But like, they might experience rejection, let's say a dozen times throughout their life. Let's just say, on, I have no idea, but let's just say a dozen times on average. Um, we will literally experience that in a week, you know, for like yeah. a decade, you know, in our yeah. most formative years. Like that is a, that is a very special experience, you know, um, it'd be like being on a sports team where like all you ever do is lose. And every time you, you kick the soccer ball, you're like, you can't even, you can't even touch your foot to it. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, there's just, it's, it's just strange, you know? Yeah. And it builds you and builds your character, I think in a certain way that is, um, fascinating that I've been love liking exploring with our podcast that I, I'm curious, you know, for you guys, like, I, I, I think I have two questions for you guys. One is I'm curious, like what you found in respect to that, you know, like the, the psyche of the kid actor. And I'm also really curious as to what you guys, like what you've perhaps uncovered in yourselves through the, through this whole experience so far, you know, like, what do you like, has there been some surprises where you've gone like, wow, it's sort of, there's a reflection there that's been that's helped provide clarity or something or something new, you know, that you've discovered throughout the way. I'm curious. Jordan, do you want to? You go first, Hattie. <laughs> do you know what? In answer to that second question, um, when I, when we started the podcast, I thought it would be a great opportunity to chat to Jordan, chat to some other actors, but I didn't necessarily see it as something that a journey for myself to go on for my own discovery. Hmm. But actually, I found it incredibly useful and incredibly warming to talk to other people who have had the same experience than me as me, because I think I thought how I felt was quite an individual feeling. So I've actually found it incredibly positive in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's been for AJ and I as well, I think, you know, mm. and you, Jordan? I think 100%. Yeah, I think definitely 100%. I think that it's been, I think I look back at our, um, our old bio for, our, for the show and it was about, we were like, oh, we want to talk to former child actors and talk about, you know, really 
juicy stories and like <laughs> things and that kind of stuff. And, and whilst there are some moments of that in our podcast, but actually what it has be- become has been, it's been a real opportunity for us and for other people to really therapeutically explore things that, again, you probably didn't think you ever needed to explore. And like Hattie, you were saying, you felt were very individual experiences that actually were shared experiences. It's like, okay, maybe not quite the comparison, but I imagine it's a similar feeling to like, you know, war veterans. Where yeah. like <laughs> You know it's so strange. AJ has said that exact same thing on our podcast. Really? I'm not yeah, he goes, he goes, we're literally like World War II veterans. Yeah. The way we can all speak to each other. The way it's like and it's like we're all the only ones who understand. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. But it's that thing where it's like, but there isn't that there aren't those groups for former child actors <laughs> yeah, to, know, yeah. to go to with, you know, and By the way, like that we can that for our experiences. I know you talk to her, so I nominate Mara Wilson as the head of that group, whatever whenever <laughs> yeah. it gets started. Mara is the absolute, yeah. she's the head. She can control she us all. Definitely. She can put us all at ease. She is the Wendy darling to all of the lost yeah. boys that are yeah. us former kid actors. It's really funny. You know, war veterans, why they get like that is because they experienced massive amounts of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and they have post-traumatic stress disorder. And they're suffering greatly inside. Yeah. And they think no one else understands. So yeah. maybe that is the like, defining feature of a life as a former kid actor I, i've told this on our podcast a lot. i'm like i'm horrified at the thought that there are like state there are like mothers and fathers or or current kid actors listening to our podcast yeah. like pick trying to pick things up you know because yeah. like, i'm like you know if we're gonna say anything to you guys it's like um like get ready for some trauma like, <laughs> really, like it or not Have like therapy lined up <laughs> exactly there's going to be a traumatic effect for yeah. you guys and, and aj actually is a big advocate of um since we started like the second we started having conversations he very quickly quickly formulated the idea that he was like there needs to be a mandatory when you turn 18 year of therapy that is just mm-hmm. given to you <laughs> i was mm-hmm. like no yeah. dude we do not need to be the arbiter but he's like we do and we have yeah. discovered this and this is no matter how healthy minded you turn out no matter like it doesn't matter if like you could be the guy who went to jail and who shanked his own mom or you can be like <laughs> you can be like hey you know what i'm winning oscars at 20 it doesn't yeah. matter, like it doesn't matter he's like you need a good solid year of therapy to go you know process your experience as a former kid actor it's crazy but- it is, and it's true. I'll be honest, guys, we've talked to, to like, you know, we've talked to, and I don't want to blanket any, anything about any guests we've had. We've been so fortunate to have really cool mm-hmm. people come on and stuff, but for sure we've had conversations where like, you know, we're sitting there and you know, you, you can hear, like, I relate so much to every guest we've had on there. Mm-hmm. And I sat there thinking like, I needed therapy for that specific thing. I can hear mm-hmm. something in them. I'm like, I needed, it took me a lot of work. Maybe it, it won't for them, but I can see where people can yeah. be stuck, you know, in certain ways mm-hmm. and where it, it is absolutely necessary. And it's tough. It's a tough thing to hear. You know? But it's beautiful, like Hattie was saying, it's beautiful to actually now feel like what is a network of people, like every single guest we've had. And now Chris, you're part of that gang. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I want, and we want to just go for a drink with them when we're allowed to and just be like, talk more about it. You feel like you've made a, a really close friend, even though you've only spoke for like an hour. This is but it, guys. You feel like 
we're starting a cult. This is it. I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you, we're all, we're all going to move to Bali together and it's going to be like a giant <laughs> yeah. city of former kid actors. Yeah. And I don't know what the, what the end result is, but it's going to be, yeah. great. it's going to be a it's lot of tears, glorious. a lot of laughs. It's going to be wonderful. Cause it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing we found. We're like, you know, like we're like when the pandemic's over, it's going to be the best or worst yeah. barbecue we've ever yeah. had in our life. <laughs> <laughs> Crying over chicken skewers. Yeah, exactly. It's literally going to be it. It's, and then it's been amazing. The casting person slapped the sides out of my hand. <laughs> can I just can I just ask something very quickly before we finish? Yes, because yeah. um, the Coogan Chronicles, I now know what this means. But I oh, think yeah. to some of our British um, or European listeners, this is a new thing. Oh yeah, okay. That's that is fascinating because we didn't really get to go over a lot of the differences. I mean, we can do yes. a bullet point thing, but that's maybe then it sounds like that is the one of the fundamental differences. We call our podcast the Coogan Chronicles because every kid actor in the states has is required. They cannot work without um, opening up what's called a Coogan account, which is a an account that takes fifteen percent of every dollar you earn as a kid actor and puts it safely into an account that cannot be opened until you're 18 or emancipated, until you're a legal adult. And that happened because there was a young actor named Steve Coogan when he, who was the, he was the kid. Not Steve he, Coogan, it's Steve Coogan, oh, sorry, Jackie. Oh, sorry, not Steve, Jackie Coogan, sorry, Steve <laughs> Coogan's the son. Yeah, sorry, uh, Steve Coogan's the uh, comedian. Um, <laughs> Jackie Coogan, good call, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and uh, we should have named our podcast something else. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Jackie Coogan was the kid in The Kid, and Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, yeah. and he made like the equivalent of a million dollars in that day, which was like, you know, fuck you drug lord money. And yeah. when he turned 18, um, he uh, had nothing and his parents had spent it all. And it was a long court case. And what was established was this law, the Coogan law, which was if you worked in the States as a kid, as a professional performer, you know, you had to open up this count to ensure you uh, some safety from your own parents. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fucked up, but it exists. But they have to set it up. Say again? Do your parents set up the account? Yes, the parents have to set up the account. They cannot, like the union and every producer, like they, everybody makes sure that that account is there because it'll be a huge problem if it wasn't. Um, and I, it sounds like you guys don't have that. Do you have the equivalent oh. of that in any way? Is there? Nope. No. I've never heard of it. No one's ever mentioned it to me. None yeah. of our guests. No. Nothing. Wow. Did Now, can yeah. I ask, like, do, does it seem then like, you guys should have like do you meet a lot of people that are like man i should have a bit of extra money tucked away or something to show for it and they don't for some reason not that anyone's brought up to us no. i mean everyone no one's no one said anything about that at all yeah. um but yeah no 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 i mean i spent a lot of my own money once it was mine yeah <laughs> probably <laughs> recklessly um but did your parents yeah, no save it did your parents no, they save gave it for you? my parents i i always had a bank account from when i was uh, like eight years old what and my money yeah yeah absolutely did you give a little uh, credit card and everything you were like i had a checkbook at first Yo, mom dad this dinner's on me <laughs> literally yeah it, it was like that i had a checkbook and then when i hit 16 no no even when i was 11 i had a bank card and i had a limit of 50 pounds a day that i could take <laughs> withdraw from that that's hilarious <laughs> And, and also, that fifty pounds a day was only put on by the bank, wasn't it? Yeah. That wasn't like an industry thing. Yeah, your parents would have been like, I don't know, five thousand, whatever you want. <laughs> it, it was like that. And then when when I hit sort of sixteen, seventeen, and uh, so I, I don't think it, I don't think the same in the US. But at sixteen, you're an adult as an actor. No, you're yeah. not. It, it, it's eighteen. It's eighteen for us. Here it's the, sixteen. Wow. Well so done, it's Europe. Six, thank you. Yeah. So it's <laughs> sixteen, you earn more. And you have 
you don't have to have any set tutors or anything like that. Mm. It's just, it all comes to you and you're, you're earning more money. You're considered an adult, you don't need a chaperone, anything like that at all. Huh. And so me at 16, I was just like splurging. It was, Here it we was go, great. world. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Amazing. What but, did you, do you mind? We, we, well, we'd love to have you guys on at some point when we'd end up asking that question. We like to ask every guest what they did with their Coogan account money is really <laughs> the final question. And, and it's because of that we want to know what happens at that point where like, you're the adult in your life after having been yeah. a kid with all the adult perks and like, yeah. what do you do? And a majority of the time, everybody's got a fairly embarrassing story. Um, or actually what we found out is that we think everybody had a fairly embarrassing story. And then we realize it's just me. Oh man, I just, I fucked off. I did so many stupid things. Um, I, the first, one of the dumbest things I, I had like a car that I was leasing. Right. So I didn't own this car and I yeah. went and like, you know, it was like, you remember this is like the days of the fast and furious days, you yeah. know? So I was like, I, you know, I turned my car into like a, you know, it was just like, all right, here we go. I got 35 inch rims on this tiny ass <laughs> little car. And I went and embroidered the inside of the car with like this weird mesh stuff and like showed up at my friend's house. And I was like, here we now grant earlier. I think I said I wasn't in competition with Frankie Muniz, but like yeah. thinking about it through that lens, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, maybe I was, you know, yeah. uh, and so I, in a Frankie. <laughs> exactly. But I took this car. I probably spent like God knows how much money over the course of six months or a year doing all kinds of stuff to it. And then like at the end of that September, they were like, I got a notice. I was like, you gotta turn your car back in. I was like, all right. And I turned it in and they're like, um, we're charging you like ten thousand dollars to fix this fucking car that you weren't supposed to touch. So I was like, oh, I didn't know. I was, you know. And then at the end, I was like, I probably spent twenty grand, and I still don't own a car. And, I, and then I was like, and then later, I didn't have as much money, and I was like, fuck, man, I gotta get a car. And like, yeah. I guess I'm getting a Honda for about five grand. <laughs> so I did a, a few too many of those, quite honestly. Um, and That's I did, amazing. yeah, and I did have, but there was a lot of nights where it was just like slapping down a card being like shots are on me yeah. you know and then later like later like finding a receipt in my pocket that said like 642 <laughs> like 600 without 62 dollars 642 dollars yeah. you know um, i've been drunk it, yes literally yeah, there was a lot of that um and it was you know it's los angeles so it was it's it the the accessibility yeah. is insane, you know? And when you're a young actor in LA, like I'll never forget like the first club I went to, me and my buddies like, you know, waited for an hour and a half in a line, like freezing cold outside. And like, you know, I just looking pathetic, you know, just looking yeah. like the saddest, <laughs> like horniest little teenagers that were like, oh, please let us in, please. Look at that girl, she's so pretty. And then like, I don't know, six months later, we walked up to a club and some dude with a mustache that curled up to his eyebrows was like, you, I know you. And we're like, what? And he's like, get in here. And then like every weekend for the next six years, we were like, What's up, Frank? <laughs> we're like, you know, it's like so. There's a lot of that. There was a lot of that, unfortunately. You know, I think one one of the things I heard about your Jennifer Love Hewitt story. Oh yeah, um, from your, yeah. you must have so many of those stories, though, where like you I are do. in crazy LA party actor situations. So many. I mean, honestly, so many. Like, and we did the same thing, right? Which is like when we started our podcast, we really thought. We, we did make the, this, the thing we realized because we're reaching out to so many friends and people we mm. know closely. So we went, look, we don't want to, we don't want to like exploit anybody. We never want, even if they weren't friends, we don't exploit anybody. But we also all shared a lot of experiences that were hilarious and sometimes fucked up or, you know, like 
I would just love to get out there. It's really mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. And, and it was hard. And we haven't even asked a majority of the time, to be honest, you know. Um, but, you know, in LA in particular, LA and New York, yeah, there's, you know, I mean, there's about a million stories that have yet to be sort of, un, you know, told out loud. Um, you know, for me, I reached out to one of my friends a long time ago, my buddy Andrew, and I, I wrote him a letter for like his birthday once. And I was like, look, man, I was like, he stopped acting at a certain point. He stopped acting when he was like 22, 20. He was like, I'm done, you know? Mm-hmm. And I must've been in my mid twenties. And I remember writing him and I just told him, I was like, you know, man, I was like, our friendship's like a bit of a lighthouse for me. It always has. It's like where I feel like if I float out into the water a bit, I always have somewhere to sort of look at and know where I am contextually. Mm-hmm. And so the more, more challenging or dark times of my life or the times where, where, you know, that I faced inside where I feel the most lost or the most untethered from myself, you know, I've had a nice pillar there mm-hmm. from somebody that's not my parent, that's not a relationship, that's not a sibling, but that fully understands a lot of my inner, exper- inner experience and that I went through a lot of stuff with. Um, and it's been to this day, like one of the most helpful relationships, you know, and I think I provided that as well. Um, and I, 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 you know, I don't know who I'd be without it, to be honest. I really don't. Oh. And, and I've seen what's happened with people if they didn't, you know, yeah. um, that's yeah, a really yeah. nice note to end on. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks guys. Chris, yeah. you've gone over time and to be honest, oh, I think we could keep talking to you for longer. I'm so, sure we can. Um, yeah. Maybe we need to make a little habit. We'll get together every few months. I'm serious. Yeah. That might be actually really nice. Yeah. Well, Definitely. thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to riff with former kid actors any day. Thank you. And- Thank you so much to Chris for being on the podcast. And thank you to George for providing the music. You can find him at soundcloud.com forward slash George. That's J-A-U-G-E. Tune in next time. See you later.